All right. Good afternoon, Valley family. Great to see you here today. Um, a little shout out to all the people that came out to that Walk for Freedom yesterday in Poughkeepsie. Man, it was, the weather was not great when we got there. If you were there, you know. It was, it was murky and mucky and foggy and gross, but it was, it was awesome to be able to get together and, and march around and, and really support an awesome cause. So shout out to you guys. If you didn't make it, uh, kind of a plug for next year. Make sure you come out. It's just, it's just a real cool uh, event. Now, Came out to that yesterday and afterwards, I don't know if you were there, what you did afterwards, but for myself, went home and got together with the wife and we took the, the kids out and we were like, let's go, you know, do a little uh, fall foliage, kind of like, you know how it is. You want to take some pictures for the gram. All right, let's just, let's be honest, get out there, take some nice fall photographs with the kids and maybe put them on social media or something. So uh, we did that. We, we, we have a four-year-old and a seven-year-old. So they're still, they're still young, right? They're still a, a good age. And we did, we, we drove out to a nice little waterfall somewhere, somewhere picturesque. And uh, we got there and there was like a jillion people there because everybody apparently had the same idea that we did uh, yesterday. So it was interesting. We got there and, and it's, it is gorgeous. Very picture, it's like a little path and there's all this like trees changing colors and there's waterfalls up there. And, and, and it's just so apparent that, uh, that we live in kind of like a, a different, I guess, time or a different season, right, than it was even some years ago. Because now when you go and you see all these people, it's like, it's like a good amount of those people weren't really there to like enjoy the hike or really, really do that. They were really just there to take the pictures, right? They're really to get those nice family pictures. So when, when we got there, uh, kind of walking along and you see like, you know, moms that are like throwing all these like dried leaves up in the air and they're like trying to take the picture of the kids. And if you know, if you know little kids, they're like not cooperating. They're like turning around backwards, like trying to go around the leaves or whatever and giving you all kinds of funny poses. So we're walking along and we see, we see some more people. It's, it's, if you have little kids or you've ever had little kids or you've ever heard of little kids, you know, trying to get them, especially with more than one, to like face forward and all smile at the same time while you actually take a picture and it looks good is absolutely impossible. And we have two girls and, and one of them is like, you know, if one of them is like smiling nice, the other one's going to like give like this weird, like, like weird pose or something. And you're like, all right, that, that, that doesn't work. And I don't know, it was just cute. It was just cute being able to kind of walk out there. It was interesting to see. Uh, our kids having a cute time, and we did eventually, after like 8,000 takes, we got a one good one, I think. Uh, but it's just interesting to see like how the seasons and, and time change. Like a couple years ago, it wasn't all about snapping the perfect shot and putting it on social media, right? So maybe you wouldn't see the same kind of things going on. But not only the seasons of time change, but the seasons of life change, the seasons in general change, right? We, when, we, when we went and kind of turned and greeted your neighbor or whatever, what was the question? It was like, turn to your neighbor and tell them what your favorite part about the fall season is. And what was the correct answer? Apple cider donuts, of course, right? That's, uh, I'll tell you what my least favorite uh, part about fall is. My least favorite part about fall is that time when you kind of send your kids like back to school. That's the best part, actually. Send your kids back to school. That might be the best part. But, but the worst part being like when they go to school and they've been there a couple days and they come back and they have that first like <coughs> little cough of the cold season, right? So we've gone through... We've gone through a little bit of a season ourselves uh, uh, this year. We've had, we've had like cold and all this nonsense in the house. This is probably the first week that every, all four of us have been good, probably in like five or six weeks. It's been tough because when you have two little kids and they're in separate classrooms, and then Andrea, the mom, my wife, is, 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 she's a teacher. She's in her own classroom. Now you've got three separate classrooms full of little germ monster children that they're just like waiting to like come home and like cough in each other's faces, right? That's how, my, that's how my, my daughters do it. The four-year-old will come home with a little cough, and she'll naturally just cough all over her sister, who in turn will come, like, and I'll pick her up and be like, oh, babe, I love you so much. And she'll just be like, sneeze directly in my mouth or something. I know it's disgusting. But it's how it works when you have kids. So we went through this, like, long season where it was like one kid brought homesickness, and everybody, of course, got it. And then as we're, like, chasing that out, another kid, one of our other kids, comes from a different classroom and brings a different sickness in. And it goes through the family again. And it's, it was, it's been like probably five, six weeks of just, you know, just nonstop. And I know that's kind of like a, almost like a, it can sound like a minor inconvenience, but sometimes minor inconveniences are like majorly stressful. So when we got these little girls and we're trying to like send them to school and stuff and, and at night, like they're coughing all night. It's like that kind of sickness. Like they're coughing all night long. They can't sleep. That means you can't sleep. 
And in the morning they wake up, you can't send them to school because they had a terrible night, right? So we'll bring them to the doctor and the doctor's like, hey, try this. And we go home, we try that. And that doesn't work either. It's just coughing and coughing and sneezing and gross and whatever. And it can be stressful. Sometimes we're in stressful seasons, okay? Everybody, anybody ever been through a stressful season of life? Anybody in a stressful season of life like right now? You're like, yes, that's me. I'm in a stressful season. So we... Going through the season, it was interesting. One of the things that kind of like stick, stuck out to me is that we try to like pray as a family. So we, we get all the, the, the two girls together and mommy and we'll kind of come together and we'll pray. So we're praying for like, you know, God, that, that you would take away this sickness in the name of Jesus, right? It's like, God, that they'd be able to go to school tomorrow, God, that they would feel better, have a great night's sleep tonight, God, in the name of Jesus, amen. And they're like, <coughs> all night, all night. And the next morning they wake up and it's like, and it's like they're not better, they are, they're worse, right? You're like, oh, okay, great. So then the next night we get together as a family, like the two girls, my wife and I, and we're like, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you would take away this sickness, they would feel better and, and et cetera, et cetera. And then that night, cough all night and they wake up in the morning and they're worse again, right? So then the third night, getting together with the girls, praying again with the girls, God, would you take away this sickness? And my, 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 my daughter, who's like four, mind you, asked me, Daddy, Daddy, why, why, we, why we pray if God doesn't answer our prayers? And I was like, I Google help. <laughs> like, like uh, I, I felt somewhat ill-prepared to be able to explain that, well, well, baby, sometimes God's grace is like sufficient. Like that, I don't think that works with a four-year-old, right? So I, I had to struggle and, and find a way to, to try and explain to her, you know, that sometimes just, you know, bad things happen. And, and it doesn't mean that God doesn't love us, Right? Or does that mean that God doesn't love us? Is God mad at us because we, you know, this is clearly like a symptom of, this is, this is, this is I did something wrong or something, and that's why my family is sick, right? Is, is, is that how this works? And yet, often in life, like, that can be like a temptation. Like, like sometimes I think when we go through difficult seasons, I, I think that's a temptation for us to think and be like, man, I must have done something wrong because I'm really going through it right now. Anybody... Maybe you don't want to sneak up your hand, but anybody, I bet some people have been there before. I bet some people have thought that before. God, why? Not, not so much the, the who, not the, not the what, not the when, not the where, not even the how, but why, God, why? Has got to be like the most asked question of God. Yeah, people want to ask how, how'd you create the universe? They might ask when, when are you coming back kind of a thing. But why, I bet, is, is by far the most asked question of God. Why, God? Why me? Why us? Look at the neighbors. They're not sick. Look at the neighbors. They're not struggling. Look at these people over there. They seem like they're doing fine. Why us, God? So we're in a series called Unpopular Opinion. And first off, I want to give a popular opinion, and I'm going to contrast it later with the unpopular one. The popular opinion is this. If things are going bad for me, that must mean that God is mad at me. Now, I want to make it clear. We will reap what we sow, right? This does not mean that you don't reap what you sow. You could, you could do something terrible right now or, or, or something terrible later on and that will affect your life, right? If you do it today, like tomorrow, your life will be worse because you sowed something into your life and you reaped the consequence tomorrow. I'm not saying that there's no such thing as sowing and reaping. It, that is a natural law of like the universe. What you, what you sow, you're going to reap, right? But this is a little bit different. If things are going bad for me, that doesn't necessarily mean that God is just mad at you. You're not sick because you sinned like, you know, you did something crazy or whatever and like God just he's going to make all your family sick or, or whatever. That's not how it works. That's not what we're going to be talking about today. Again, there are things that you could do that would make you sick, right? There definitely are. You could go right out here and start slamming drugs. Is that going to make you sick? Yeah. But this is not what we're talking about today. If things are going bad for me, this is the unpopular opinion. If things are going bad for me, that must mean that God is mad at me. I think this is a natural like, temptation. It's like an earthly wisdom instead of a heavenly wisdom. But in the moment, sometimes when we're struggling through something, I think it makes sense. And if I'm honest, like, like dealing with the kids and they're coughing all night and they're sneezing all night and the next day they're sick and they're missing school and the stress of that, like who's going to stay home? And then my wife is sick and then I'm sick and it's like, lingering coughs and sinus infections and all this gross stuff stress me out like terribly stress out parents you know parents you know how this works and the temptation even for me in the back of my head is like why are we going through this god like like why but sometimes you just got to you just got to push 
through, right? You just have to believe that God is still good. And to com compound the situation, has anybody ever been going through a difficult season with one aspect of life and then like another one sneak up behind you and bite you? A whole different difficult situation come up and bite you? Like you're struggling over here with like health or, or family relationships or something and then like finances comes and it's like, haha, you forgot about me. I bet you have. I bet you have. And, and, and so let's take this to like its logical conclusion, right? Let's say there's a storm coming. Let's say it's like a hurricane or something, something terrible. And you have like a believer and their family over here in a house and the storm is coming to that town. So in one house, there's a believer in the family here. And five minutes away, there's another believer with their family there in their house. And both sets of families are praying the same prayers. God, that you would pass over this house. God, that you would protect the family, that you would protect the house, protect our property. In the name of Jesus, amen. And the storm blows through, and this house is untouched, but that house, the house is wrecked. This is real life stuff. Hurricane Ian in Florida, like these things that happen, this actually happens. There are believers on both sides of that fence. These guys were praying the same prayers as those guys' prayers. Does that mean that God is mad at them because their house blew over? Does that mean that God prefers these people because their house was fine? That's not how it works. If things are going bad for me, that don't mean that God is mad at me. This was something that people were asking of Jesus back in the day. We see it in Luke chapter 13. Now, some people come to Jesus and they, they're like, they want to know. They want to know how this works. So they're bringing a crazy story to Jesus to see what he has to say about this very topic. They go to Jesus and they're talking about, they say, Jesus, let's ask you about the Galileans. They're a group of people from a certain area. Uh, they stay, I'm just going to read from the top. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate, sounds familiar, right? The guy's kind of like the judge over Jesus' mock trial. He was, uh, had the authority to do all kinds of things that he wanted. If he wanted to basically wanted to kill you, he can get away with killing you, right? So these Galileans, they were coming in to the temple to bring their sacrifices. Back in the day, it was like animals and stuff. I know, unpopular. Good thing we did away with that but bringing the animals into the temple. And what, is, what does Pilate do here? Pilate mixes their blood with the sacrifices, meaning that Pilate killed all these guys, these people from Galilee, killed them and took their blood and mixed it with the animal blood that was supposed to be the offering. And it was like this crazy suffering that these people had to endure. And the, the people, the disciples are coming to Jesus and they're asking Jesus, what about this extreme situation here? Because those people suffered terribly. Did they do something wrong? They do something extra wrong that they deserve that? Look, do you think, Jesus answers, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? What does he say? I tell you, no. No. That's not like, that's not like those people were all murderers and God was like, I got you all. So you're going to suffer terribly. No, they were, I'm sure there's some of those were, were, were regular old, you know, people and something terrible happened to them. and They went through suffering, you know. He says, I said, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. And Jesus says, well, well, let me tell you another story. Jesus says, how about, did you hear the story about those 18 people that died? Yeah, it's this place called Siloam. These 18 people that died, they died in like a tower. It was like a tower construction accident or something, right? Do you think that those 18 people were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? Jesus is asking his disciples this. You heard about this tragedy, right? Do you think those people were being singled out? You think God was singling out all those people and was punishing them, all those people right there? He says, I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. You see, this world, this world is, this world is what the world is. Look outside, man. Look at, look at, look at, look, just look at it even in ourselves sometimes. This world is actually, the Bible said, this world is passing away. This world, this world is full of what? Trials and hardships and tears and sickness and suffering. Is that, am I lying? I'm not lying. The world is full of these things. And the Bible says one day this world will actually ultimately pass away and will be replaced by a new heavens and a new earth. And what God is, what Jesus is saying here, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Maybe that belongs as like the biggest unpopular opinion of all. Because our modern ears, we get a little bit offended when we hear something like that. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. He's talking to the people that asked him the question. 
They're asking Jesus, hey, these people suffer terribly. Like, did they do something bad? And he's like, no, 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 no. But unless you repent, you guys are going to perish too. Because on the earth, every single one of us, unpopular opinion, no, unpopular truth, every single one of us is going to perish someday, right? On this earth. It don't matter if you live to be 120 or you're young. It's going to happen one time or another, right? But what is the bigger tragedy? To perish on this earth or to perish in that next life? Unless you repent, you too will perish. He doubles down in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus says this, Don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Let that sink in. Your body could die, could pass away, but your soul, your soul will live on. He says, don't be afraid of the ones who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one that could do both if you wanted to. If this world is passing away someday, if the destiny of this world, let's say this world is on fire. And we always get these like, oh, it's getting better. We're progressing all this technology. It's going to get better. World peace someday, blah, 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 blah. It actually is literally never going to happen. It's never happened and it never will happen because this world cannot solve its own problems because the world cannot solve the biggest problem that is sin and death. It ain't never going to be perfect. It's never going to be utopian. This world is on fire because it is passing away. This world is a sinking ship. And that's why Jesus says crazy things like unless you repent, you're going to perish because that's the way that the world is going. Jesus is in his love calling to us and desiring for everyone to take hold of that hand being offered. Let me pull you out of this sinking ship. But you got to turn to me. You got to turn from your old ways and turn to me. We hear that with our modern ears and you're like, wow, that's so, that's so like, uh, that's, not that's not very politically correct, Jesus. But which is the bigger tragedy, right? Which is the bigger tragedy? To perish on earth? Everybody's going to perish anyway someday. Or to perish in the next, to not make it to the next. Back to Siloam, right? Not John 9. Again, disciples come to him. And they bring another example of the same thing. Something bad has happened to somebody. So the disciples are like, all right, we don't understand. Like, what did he do wrong? Look, as he went along, he sees, this is Jesus. He sees a man blind from birth. And his disciples ask him, hey, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Because clearly something has gone wrong. Clearly somebody has sinned to make him have to live that kind of a miserable life. He obviously did something wrong. And if it wasn't his, it was his parents. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus responds, neither. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus says. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And what does Jesus do? Jesus does something gross. Jesus spits into the ground, into the mud, into the dirt. He makes mud with his fingers and he puts it in the dude's eyes. Stuff only Jesus can get away with doing, right? Because if I try to do that to you, you're going to be mad. I've tried it before. <laughs> Just kidding. After saying this, he spits in the ground, makes some mud with the saliva, and he puts it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, we just heard about Siloam in the last story. We heard about a place where these 18 people had died in like some kind of a tower accident. So that place is associated with death. And Jesus takes this guy, puts the mud in his eyes and says, hey, go to that same town and wash in the pool that's there, the pool of Siloam. So the guy goes and he washes and he comes home seeing. His eyes are brought to life in the place where those people had just died. Get it? The man goes and washes. He comes home seeing. He comes home so different. It's such a dramatic change that even his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging, they're asking, is this the same guy? You're my neighbor, bro. You should know me, right? It's like, is this the same guy? They're so blown away that this change has been so dramatic. It's such a dramatic change and it's so, it just gets the attention of so many people because this is, this is a big deal. Somebody who was born blind is healed and now can see and they're attributing it to this guy named Jesus. So the religious leaders of the day, if we fast forward the story here a little bit, the religious leaders of the day find out 
And they kind of put this blind guy who was formerly blind on trial. And they're like, you tell us the truth right now. You're not the, right, you're not the blind guy, right? You're somebody else who's pretending to have been the blind guy. Or, or, or something else happened to make you get this sight back. But, but we're not going to hear anything about this like healing kind of a thing. This is the religious leaders. And the guy says, look, nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man, if Jesus was not from God, he could do nothing. And the religious leaders are so bent out of shape about this. You can actually see their attitude here. They believe that he must have done something wrong too, or his parents. They say to him, you were steeped in sin at birth. Steeped into, you were covered. You were surrounded by sin. You are, you are a sinner by nature, by beyond nature. You are, you are, you deserve to have been born blind. You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? Because I bet you if God was going to heal somebody, he'd heal one of us. Right? We're the spiritual ones, right? We're the ones that be praying on the streets. We're the ones with the, with the fancy, like, spiritual outfits and stuff. We're the ones that people come to. God clearly is going to, going to heal one of us, not some loser who was born blind, right? It's kind of this attitude. It doesn't surprise me that multiple times this, this whole kind of, like, uh, misinformation or something, if you will, is coming up to Jesus and they're, they're, they're believing something that's completely outside what God is actually doing. They claim you were steeped in sin at birth, that he was steeped in sin at birth. These guys maybe didn't believe so much in God as they believed in some kind of a karma, right? It's like his parents must have been terrible, like, sinners or whatever, and that's why you're struggling the way that you are. That's why you were born blind, because God is punishing your parents' sin and you. How crazy is that? How much guilt do you think that you would carry in your life? How much guilt maybe are you carrying in your life where you believe lies about yourself? That the reason that, you, that you're suffering, the reason that you were born a certain way, that the reason that you don't have the same things that your neighbor has is, is because God has singled you out to punish you because he's mad at you. Huh. So we see in that story there that, that God sent this man and he found life for his eyes where there had been death. God has a way of bringing life from places where there is death. God has a way through even trials and hardships and suffering to bring life from those kind of things because God is ultimately above and beyond even death. All those things have to bow down before Jesus someday in this world or the next. I remember... Uh, when we got married, Andrea and I, oh my gosh, our, our, our anniversary is coming up next weekend, right? <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> when we got married, we got married uh, in the United States. She's from Bogota, Colombia, and, and we got married on the West Coast. And um, as we're trying to get married, you know, her family's all down from, from Colombia still, and we're trying to get visas for them to be able to come up and come to the wedding. And kind of at the 11th hour, they were, they were denied the ability to, to come. So we got married without her parents, which is not great and pretty stressful, right? It was a sad situation. It was bittersweet. It took what should have been like an amazing day and it still was an amazing day, but there was like this bittersweetness to it because her own father and mother could not be, her entire family could not be with us. So we kind of made a decision and we're like, listen, what we're going to do is leave the West Coast and we're going to spend like some time in Colombia because I had, at that point never even met my in-laws or my brother-in-laws. So I was like, West Coast, we're going to spend like six months in Colombia. I'm going to get to know everybody. We're going to, we're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to speak very broken Spanish and they're going to be gracious with me and pretend like they understand what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. You ever been there? Like, you don't, you don't understand what the person just said to you, but you're like, yeah. Right? That was like my life for six months. I was like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we spent, we spent six months down there and uh, it, was, it, was, it was a good time, and the plan was, you know, we came from the West Coast, we spent all this time in Colombia, and then we're going to move back to the Northeast where I was from and where my family, you know, still is. So this was the plan. We're gonna, we have some connections in the Northeast coming from Colombia, and we're going we're gonna to land back here. We have, a couple, we have a place to stay. You know, I got a job. I was working in the trades at that time, so it's like I'm thinking I can get a job anywhere. I'm, I'm pretty good with my hands. I'm not maybe the best, but I, I, can, I can definitely make a living for myself. I can get a job with a crew somewhere doing construction, do carpentry, finish carpentry, whatever that it might be. I can run machines and stuff. So we come back to, to the Northeast after spending some time in Colombia, and... We just, we just ran into, into, the, into the shredder. 
It's like we came, we came up to the Northeast, and the jobs that I thought that I could get turned out not to be what I thought that they could be, and I was having trouble. I got onto a, to a, to like a, a construction crew, like a carpentry crew, and I remember, I remember, I remember being put into the bucket of a bucket truck, and my boss was driving, and I'm in the bucket of a bucket truck. Now there's no safety equipment, right? So there's no like, there's no belts. If I fall out of this thing, you know, it's goodbye. Uh, he boomed me and this other guy 40 feet up in the air. 40 feet is as far as the bucket truck will go. And in the bucket truck, there's, a, there's like a 100-pound window, and we're going to install this window on like the second or whatever story of this house. And so we're holding onto this window, me and this other guy, in a bucket truck, no safety equipment. The man, the drive, my boss is driving the bucket truck onto like uneven like grass and dirt and whatever. So like the bucket's going like this, and we're holding onto the window, the window's going like this, and I'm trying not to look down, and I made the mistake of looking down the boom at the driver who was my boss, and I see this man driving us like that. I see this man with a joint in one hand and a beer like wedged in his pinky up against the steering wheel in his other hand and he's driving and I'm like I'm like I'm gonna die like like I and I, and I made a decision at that moment in time I'm like I can't I can't I can't I can't stay at this particular job right so I, I left that one I was like trying to land on a good crew trying to trying to be in the trades and I just couldn't find a good fit so we started kind of struggling a little bit and it came time for me have you ever been to a point where it's like, look, I don't care what the job is. I really don't even care right now necessarily how much I'm being paid. I literally just need to work to provide for my family. I don't care what I do. You could, you could, you could I don't even know. I will get up in the morning and, and have anxiety about going to work and go to work and hate my entire day there, but I will do it because I want to do it for my family and they, we need to provide. Shout outs to you. And I know there's people in here. Maybe you're still doing it. Shout outs to you if you've ever been in that situation before. And I got a job at a, at a at like a water and fire restoration company, which is kind of a fancy way to say that I, I worked a lot with like sewage. Right? So uh, there was this time that we were called to a, uh, a leak, a pipe leak. And it was in the city, it was in Massachusetts, in a city in Massachusetts. And it happened to be in the basement of, the, of a big apartment building in the projects. Right? So, so we get brought in there and a pipe is burst and it's in the basement of the projects. And like, I'm not trying to be gross. I'm just trying to be honest. All right? So I walked down the stairs with my boss. We drove the trucks, got all the machines in the back. I, I walked down the stairs with my boss and a couple other guys in the crew. And uh, my boss was like, okay, take care of that over there and I'll see you later. So he leaves. And as I like walk down into this basement, in the, in the basement of this like apartment uh, projects, um, I, I come face to face. I come face to face with Mount Pooperist, all right? It was, it was big. And I'm like, all right, all right, look, I, I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna, I, ain't, I don't got a problem doing jobs like that. I don't care if it comes from my family. I'll do whatever, whatever that I need to do, right? So I'm like, all right, fine. This ain't the best, but I'm gonna do it. So I go back to the truck. I'm like, I'm gonna get the machine real quick and we're gonna go take care of this thing. And as I get kind of like halfway back to the truck, I realize that there ain't no machine in that truck that's gonna take care of that. And then I realize that the machine is actually the shovel and actually I'm the machine. And that's how we're going to take care of that. And, and, and I know it's gross and I know it's kind of funny or whatever, but this is the truth. This is true life because God brings life out of these crazy situations. And again, if I had to, even to this day, I don't have a problem with that kind of work, right? That, that is an honest day's work. I don't have a problem with it. It was a low moment for me personally and a very tough season. And I was down in the basement and I got a shovel in one hand and a garbage bag in the other hand and that thing in front of me and the other guys in the crew were like, hey, we're going to go to the truck and grab something real quick, which was code for, hey, we're going to disappear and smoke weed for like two hours. And I was down in the basement and the apartment complex and the projects in the city in Massachusetts with a shovel in one hand and a garbage bag in the other hand and I started to feel real, real sorry for myself. It was a low moment in my life. I was like, I don't know what I've done with my family. I made, I, I made the decision. I was like, uh, we'll be good if we come back here. I couldn't hold down. I couldn't find a good job. I, I, was, I was struggling. You know, it was like we're, we're doing like the one car life. You ever lived one car life before? I was getting dropped off like an hour before work started and then picked up like two hours before, two hours after work ended. That kind of a job, one car life, struggling. And in that moment, in the, in, in that, in the basement of those, those, those apartment complex or whatever it was, I was like breaking, right? I was like, God, like, why, why, 
Why am I struggling so bad? Why would you let me bring my wife, bring the family back up here if, I, if you knew I wasn't going to be able to get a job? Why, why, am, why I'm going through this? Why I can't find the right fit? Why my friends don't struggle with this? Why our neighbors don't struggle with this? Why is it me? How come, God, I'm supposed to know you? You're supposed to love me, right? Why am I struggling? Why am I making 12 bucks an hour and these other guys disappear and I'm down here by myself with a shovel and a garbage bag? What is this all about, God? I'm like, why me? Why me? And I just broke I broke, and I'm semi-ashamed to say it, but I just broke down there. I broke. It was dark. It was humid. It was gross. And in that moment, I was like, God, like, why? Like, you mad at me? I, 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 thought, I thought you loved me. I, I had actually, like, worked a little bit in ministry beforehand, some years before that. It's like, it like, why would you let that happen to me? So I, may, I maybe, maybe accidentally shed a tear or two, all right? I'll be honest. And it was in this low moment, crying, asking God, what, 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 why me? Where did I make the wrong turn? What did I do to deserve this? Why everything's getting like dumped on me now? And I took those moments when I was being broken, when I was in that brokenness, and I was like, God, like, like I, I don't know what to do, but, but, but I want to praise you anyway, right? And it was, it was this moment in that low point in my life where I felt like God's presence all of a sudden was like around me and in me and on me. And I felt God like speak to me in a way that in the greatest of situations I never had in my life. But it was in that low point, in that low point that God, and it was like a whisper in my heart. It like bypassed my ears. I didn't hear no audible voice. God didn't show up on Mount Pooperus and be like, Randy, here's the sign and the covenant or whatever. It was a, it was a real low quiet voice in a way that spoke just to my heart. It was an impression. And God filled me with his presence in that moment. And I began to just worship him down there in the basement. And God gave me actually vision for the future in a way. It was weird. It was totally weird. It was like, it was like, I'm not going to share all of it, but it was like that God would take me who work with my hands and have been in the trades and almost fallen out of a bucket truck or whatever, and God was going to take me and like use me to like, to like preach his word and like teach, teach, teach the Bible to people from that perspective, right? He's going to take me and bring me out of there and use me to, to preach and teach. And up until that moment, I had never like preached and taught on a stage before. So that word at least in that partiality right there, that the, the, the part of the word that he gave me has already kind of been fulfilled in me, right? But it was in that low point, in that desperate moment, in that low time for myself that God showed up. And sometimes, sometimes when you're going through it, what you need to do is just be able to surrender it all and say, God, I don't know what this mess is about. I don't know why these things seem to keep happening only to me. It ain't happening to them, but I'm not trying to look at them right now. I'm trying to look at you that you would speak to me in this place. Because if you're my God only in the good times, what good is that to me when I'm in the bad times? So that popular opinion is that if things are going bad for me, that must mean that God is mad at me. But the unpopular opinion is that the problems of today are fertilizer for the promise of tomorrow. What's going on in your life today can be overcome by trusting in God that he's still in control and he will bring you through it one way or the other. One way or the other. Whatever happens here, whatever the problem, whatever the hardship, whatever the trial, whatever the sufferings, God is worthy to be trusted through it all and he will bring you through it one way or the other. Well, Pastor Randy, you don't know about my trials. You don't know what I've been through. I've, actually, I've heard that. People have told me that before. I've actually sat as an audience member in church and overheard somebody saying that to what the pastor had been preaching. Oh, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know about my troubles, my trials. You're right, I don't. People come to me all the time and they tell me stuff that's going on in their life. And I wish that I had some like magic like words to say. And because I'm awkward, I'm like, uh, I don't know. But I know God's grace is sufficient. I know that God's grace is sufficient. The trials, the sufferings. 
I might, know what you, I might not know what it means to go through your trial, your specific suffering, your situation, whatever that might be. I'm just reminded of this guy Job. This guy Job, who in the Bible, he, he's, he kind of had it all. He had, a, he had a bunch of children, great children, great family, good friends. On the surface, everything was real good. He, he, had, he, had, he had a little bit of money. He had, had a house. He had all this like nice stuff, all the stuff that you would want, the stuff that you would naturally be like envious of. You're like, oh, I want to be like Job. Until it was all taken away. And he lost his children. He lost his friends. His family was like destroyed. He lost his, his prosperity they had. He even lost his health. It was so bad that his friends that formerly were his like friends were now coming to him and be like, listen, Job, whatever you did to make God mad at you, you need to repent, bro, because clearly God is mad at you because he's picking on you. He's destroyed your life, and it can only be because you did something wrong. So repent of it. And Job was like, I, I don't think I did anything wrong. Like, I don't think that God is like that. I, I don't know why I'm suffering. And his wife comes to him. And his wife says, Job, your life sucks so bad right now that clearly, clearly God is mad at you. You must have done something. So he's she says to him, curse God and die. Just get it over with, Job. Forget about this integrity bit. Forget about pretending that you're innocent. Forget about pretending that God's not mad at you and punishing you for whatever you done did. Because whatever you did, just curse God and die and get it over with right now. That's his wife. And what is Job's response? How do you respond to that? Have you, have you ever even, let's be honest, have you ever thought in your moment, your darkest moment, the most difficult moments of your life, it's like sometimes I have had the temptation to be like, I'm done. Forget this God thing. That's not as uncommon as you might think. She says, curse God and die. And Job, who has gone through it, his friends have turned against him. His wife has turned against him. It feels like God has turned against him, but he's holding out hope. He says this in response a couple chapters later. He says, though he slay me, though he slay me. God, Job is looking around. His family's already gone. His children have been taken. All these things have happened to him. And Job still says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. How are you going to say something like that when you're faced with such suffering, the depth of what he went through? Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. So to go back to, to, to Colombia for a second, my wife grew up in, in Bogota. She's a, she's a pastor's kid. Um, I don't know if you ever like kind of been, you know, maybe outside the States or maybe you come from somewhere else, but, but churches like around the world are not necessarily like the same as like this kind of a church or whatever. So down there was a, was a, was a very difficult, very, very um, poor area of Bogota where, where her father had this church. So she grew up in this church um, and in the neighborhood, there was a lot of like just at-risk children. Like children who are like super vulnerable, at risk, maybe some on the street, maybe some that like nobody's taking care of, or they don't have food, they don't have enough clothes or whatever. So God used my wife, Andrea, who I want to be like when I, when I grow up. God used my wife, Andrea, to start this like children's foundation out of the church of her father. So, so she started like opening the doors and developing a children's program during church and, and like this kids ministry of this like little, little church in Bogota started to like grow and then it kind of exploded. And not only were kids coming in during church time to like hear about like the gospel and stuff, but even afterwards outside of church hours, like this foundation was helping with like food and, and whatever else, whatever else, however else they could meet the needs of these at-risk children. It grew to hundreds of kids, yeah? It was, it was quite, and actually... For years and years and years, and it lasted, I think it's still even going on today, it lasted so long. After she had moved away from Columbia, after she had married this bonehead right here, that foundation was still going on and they were still helping and still trying to help all those kids from that kind of a, a background. And when she was down there, all these little kids, and she was like teaching, she was one of the teachers and stuff, so she'd teach like these little kids during, during Sunday school and there was a kid named, named Oscar, like in Spanish, Oscar. I'll take it easy on you. We'll call him Oscar. But Oscar was a little kid in her program, like a little kid that came from the area, right? And he was, he'd come from a very poor family, didn't have anything, and he was coming to, 
to church and he was a part of this like foundation for, for the children there. So she was like his teacher. So this was like some years she was the teacher. They got to know him a little bit. He's a little kid, right? And he's growing up in the church and Andrea moves on, marries me, you know, comes to the United States and, and Oscar, believe it or not, like stays in this program, stays in this program for years, gets older and older until he kind of becomes like a helper in the program. Then he gets into like his young teen years, middle teen years, and he starts like learning how to play a little bit of guitar and learn how to sing a little bit, and he joins the, the worship team. So Oscar is like this homegrown kid that like everybody's super proud of because he came from this, came from nothing, came into the church as a little kid going through this program, grew up, started to go through leadership training, became kind of a leader, and then joined the worship team playing guitar and singing. And when we went back to Columbia after we got married, I had a chance to, to meet Oscar. We spent six months down there. Oscar was, was super cool. Um, you know, he, he, would, he would humor me and pretend he at least understood my attempts at Spanish. So we, we kind of were buds or whatever. And, and it was just real cool to, to, to go down there and be able to spend some time and have him around and see that he had grown up, like the fruit had grown up, right? And now he was on this worship team. And we left. We went, we went back to the United States. And a couple months later, we, we heard some news, some unfortunate news that, that um, Oscar had, had gotten sick. And... Um, it was the kind of sick, like, where they used, like, fancy words, like, diagnosis, right? It's not just, like, sick. It's, like, diagnosis. And he's, like, 16 at the time. And at first, we don't really think anything of it because, look, he's a strong 16-year-old kid. So we're just praying, God, that you would heal Oscar, that it wouldn't be anything to worry about. The whole church is coming around him. God, that you would heal Oscar, that there'd be nothing to worry about. Uh, people are, 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 are meaning and, and intending very well, telling Oscar, you're going to live. Like, nothing's going to happen. You're going to be fine. God's going to heal you, kind of a thing, et cetera. Oscar is actually not getting better. He's getting, he's getting worse, but he's still on stage. He's still playing his guitar. He's still singing songs to the Lord, right? He's still going. And as he gets a little bit worse, a little bit worse, there, there was a point in time where, where he had something in his leg and it was like growing like a mass or whatever. So they, they took his leg, the doctor. And Oscar was still coming to church. He was still playing guitar. He was still singing songs to the Lord. And as like it got worse and more tragic to human eyes, this kid, like this like lion heart inside of him got stronger and stronger and stronger. And there was a time where, where they, they had like this like youth assembly or whatever. And it was like all these like youth kids from like all these different churches got together. And Oscar was there. And at this point, like he was real sucked up. There's, there's, I've seen a picture. He, he, looked, he looked rough. And he went to this youth thing. And what was he doing at the youth thing? He was with one leg. And he was playing his guitar. And he was singing songs to the Lord in front of all these kids that was his age. Right? And I remember there was, there was a day. It was like two or three days before he passed. And he was posting on social media. This kid... It's like he had just, at that point, he had been struggling with this for like over a year and he just, just turned 18. Whole life ahead of you. Why God, why me and not somebody else, right? Uh, he had every excuse to be saying stuff like that, to be bitter, to be going down, screaming at God, saying, why me, why me, why me, why me? And instead, like three days before he passed, he put up his last social media post. And it said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your grace will sustain me. And when he passed, and when he passed, everyone had seen this process of him. Everybody had seen him go through the, the diagnosis and go through the, the effects of this diagnosis and to start getting skinnier and his face starting to change and they took his leg and he got skinnier and skinnier and, and, and weaker and weaker. Everybody saw this process that happened to Oscar from his high school friends because he had just graduated high school. They're not believers. To all these kids that came from all these different churches to go to this youth thing together and he's up there leading worship. To all the adults through all the federated churches that her father is a, is a pastor of like a denomination of. All those different churches. To me, some random like gringo that was down there. We all saw this happen together and the power and the grace with which this kid died. I was like, this kid has no right to have that kind of grace because I could never do that. And we watched this happen. 
We watched this happen, and all of us watched this happen with our eyes. And when he passed, it was like, it was like a comet streaked through the black of the night, and it lit up the whole area. And we all looked at each other, and when that comet winked out, because it was so powerful and so bright, that testimony was white hot. And when it winked out, we all just looked at each other because we couldn't, we couldn't believe what we had just seen, a kind of grace under fire that is so rare to see. Though he slain me, yet will I trust him. And whether it's Job or Oscar, one of us in here, someone who's no longer with one of us in here, Paul, as I close here, Paul, this guy wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And this is, this is what Paul went through. Paul says this. He says he's worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times he received 40 la 39 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods. One time he, they threw stones at him until he fell down. They thought he was dead. Three times he was shipwrecked. He spent a night and a day in the open sea. He says, I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in the country, in the sea. I've been in danger from false believers. He says, I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. He says, I've known hunger. I have known thirst and often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. But he goes on to say this in Romans chapter 8. He says, I am convinced convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, not height, not depth, not anything else in all creation, what? What? Will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul went through all that stuff. You think God was mad at Paul? You think Paul went through that because God was mad at him? He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. But through Paul's struggles came fertilizer for the promise of tomorrow. And all of us who are believers, we owe some kind of a debt almost to Paul, right? Because we were fertilized by what he went through. Oscar has a story that in my wife and I's hearts, it will live forever. It is sealed in our hearts. God has a power to bring life from the darkest, most dead of situations. So if nothing else in all creation is going to separate us from the love of God, what about blindness or deafness or speech impediments? What about a heart murmur or a sick child or emphysema? Not cancer, not high blood pressure, not divorce. Hello? God hates divorce. That does not mean he hates you. Now, is that a license? Like, oh, I'm just going to get divorced again. That sounds, no. Not cancer, not high blood pressure, not what someone did to you when you were a child, not what that woman did when she tried to ruin your life, not what your parents said to you and tried to speak over your life when they told you you were not good enough, that you were worthless, that you were stupid. None of those things can separate you from the love of God. So don't accept that lie. You. Take that hand offered to you. The hand of Jesus. 
that love nothing in creation should hold you back but you got to make that turn and take his hand sometimes ultimately the thing that could hold you back is you not wanting so father father I just thank you today I thank you Lord that you're Amazing grace is sufficient in any and all circumstance. That you would help us to see you in our hardships and our struggles. Help us to trust you no matter what happens, God. That whether whatever season that we're in, if we're in an amazing season where everything is going awesome, that we would not forget you. Because sometimes we get so comfortable, we forget all about you. Or if it's a season and it's like fall, where it feels like everything's falling apart and all the leaves are falling off the trees. That we would trust in you. Or maybe it's like winter and there ain't no leaves to be found on the trees and the vine has no fruit on it and it seems dead. Father, that you would remind us, every single one, I know people going through it. God, I know that this is a message for certain people. That you would remind us, God, of your love, God, that we can trust you. That if we're in sin, walking in sin, that you would help us to turn so that we will not perish, but have that eternal life in Jesus. But if that we're going through hardships and struggles, God, that that would not cause us to fall down and not be able to get back up. We trust you in the mighty name of Jesus. You are Lord over all, God. The heavens and the earth, life and death, you are Lord over all. In the name of Jesus, amen. Stand with me as we like to end around here with a with a blessing straight from the page of Scripture. It's been spoken over the people of God for several thousand years at this point. You are the latest in a chain, a chain of the people of God, and this is how the how the promise goes. If you if you want to kind of symbolize you receiving it, you can lift your hands up a little bit like this. It goes like this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Go in peace, Valley family. We'll see you next time.